from The Seventh Bride by T. Kingfisher. The problem with crying in the woods by the side of a white road that leads somewhere terrible is that the reason for crying isn't inside your head. You have a perfectly legitimate and pressing reason for crying, and it will still be there in five minutes, except that your throat will be raw and your eyes will itch and absolutely nothing else will have changed. This is Gothic. It's me, Skeen. Sunday, January 18th, 2015, 8 a.m. The others are sleeping in. After what's happened the last few days, I can't blame them. Carl in the hospital hanging on by the proverbial goblin's talent. Brothers Kitteridge, that awkward circus act, missing in action and wanted by the cops. Poor Allison. Well, rich Allison, nearly drowned, then nearly frightened to death. Man, but it's a beautiful day for a drive. Driving my inheritance, 1936 Auburn Speedster. So here's me with the top down, the wind on my scalp, and the rubber on the road. Woohoohoo! 12.30 p.m. Took a drive about up to the point and looked for whales. Spoiler, I didn't see any. And then swung back down to the old haunts. Cane House looks the same as it did when I was watching out for the old man. Maybe another half-wing... There were always carpenters around the place building something new. Laser told me it confused the ghosts. Well, he called them something other than ghosts, but though he could be as sharp as the proverbial squirrel's tooth, he wasn't all there those last couple of years. He had money, though, turns out, so whatevs. Doors were locked, so I unlocked the front one and took myself for a walkabout, I did. Oy. Poked around my old room and closed my eyes and went to the library. Only way I've ever been able to find it popped into the old man's secret room for some of the really good brandy. Mostly wanted to see if he still had them shrunken heads and whatnot in there. He did. Shiver. Creepy crap. And awesome. Made myself some lunch after and picnicked on the backyard. Avoided the hell out of the lighthouse, though. Talk about creepy. Don't tell no one, but I'm afraid of heights. 5.10 p.m. Drove back down to town and... Man, I I poked around the shops for an hour or so. Uh, I found the cutest little purple-haired troll in the artist co-op. But here's the thing. I don't actually remember anything from then until now. I I mean, crap, I, I didn't have that much brandy. But here I am on the south road, speeding along like a demon in scrappy leather. I'm gonna find a place to turn this boat around and figure this shit out. Supposed to meet my new bro at the fish, anyway. Crap, hell crap. Ah, 5.20 p.m. Damn car just jerked out of my control. I put the damn thing into a ditch. Ah, shit, damn it. Gonna need a tow truck. Of course, there's no cell service this side of the island. Is that a bloody cell phone tower up on top of the mountain? Damn it. Deep breath, Skeen. Deep breath. Okay. I think I'm close to Jason's Airbnb. Maybe there's a phone up there. Otherwise, I'm going to have to hoof it all the way back into town in the dark. 
6 p.m. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Jason and Gigi, you are on the south side of Elk Island. Uh, you're still on the South Island Road, but you are at the base of the uh, logging or forestry road that goes up to what is now apparent as Gigi's cabin, the one that Jason has been staying in until he moved his stuff down to the Spirit Bay Lodge. And uh, you have found Skeen's Auburn, the one that they inherited, in the ditch there close to that turnoff and have just heard a gunshot. What do you do? How close are we to the turnoff up to the cabin? The turnoff itself? Yeah. Uh, not very far. It looks like Skeen went into the ditch about maybe 100, 200 feet before the turnoff. Can we, like, see the 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 turnoff or like lights from the cabin or anything you can see the turnoff the logging road the forestry road that goes up uh, into the woods and up the side of uh, fog mountain but uh, you cannot see lights or any such thing through the trees at this point because well, my first instinct was to run off towards the cabin but i was under the impression that we were like at the bottom of its driveway and it sounds like it's a little farther a uh, little farther away than that. Yeah, there's not really a driveway for it. It is really just kind of a logging road that goes back up. and Right. Uh, yeah, there's a little rutted driveway that goes off of the uh, forestry road, but it only goes like, you know, maybe 50 or 80 feet before it gets to the cabin. But that is, as you know, Jason, that is about a quarter of a mile up. Well, in that case, I guess I would like, take two steps towards the, you know, wall of blackness that is woods at night and then <laughs> think twice about it and turn back to Jason and go, where, where is the cabin from here? Should we drive there? It's not far. It's a quarter of a mile. Here's my keys. Um, go back and get help. Um, I think I'm going to try and find out what's going on. Oh, I wanted to be the one to find out what was going on. I snatched the keys. <laughs> well, you're more than welcome to choose to do so. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I. Uh, you're familiar with the place. You are too. Well, you know of it anyway. And Fine. was it your grandma Fine. Grace that used to spend a lot of time there? So I'm sure she uh, has. Yes, the genetic memory of my grandmother spending time at a cabin. Um, <laughs> yes, no, um, sure. I'll um check my cell phone real quick just to see if there's any service. There is not. All right. All right. Well, actually, that's that's that is not necessarily true. I'm sorry. Let me tr let me say that in Wait. a different way. Would you like to spend a survival point? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I actually I have a different plan. Let's go up there together. Let's go up there together, Jason, and see what has happened. It could be something else, or there could be someone in need of immediate attention, and um, we'll get up to the cabin faster in the vehicle. Allison, are you okay with this? Um. Uh. Gunshots in the night in a dark road where we just saw Carl. You said on the road. Um, well, I I'm not okay with it, but I I yeah. I mean, I think we have to. I think somebody could be hurt, and we need to find out what's going on. But I also think we need help. Yes, I also suspect that uh, if there's a immediate present danger, we will want to have the car here with us and not off for who knows how long, fetching help. So, Well, let's go. So you guys jump in the car and... Snatch my keys back from Gigi and... 
<laughs> Again, you you peel off, you head up, uh, driving up the uh, forestry road, which is a lot rougher than the south road. And the trees are closer in on either side. The headlights don't seem to pierce the gloom as much as they were even on the on the blacktop below. Instead, they almost seem to make everything that is around even darker, that uh, outside of that beam of light, there is just, you know, nothingness, just void. And knowing that, um, knowing kind of the distance to the lodge and, and having driven it so much recently, uh, I think uh, Jason would uh, turn off the lights when he gets closer to try and assess the situation and see through the darkness better. Go ahead and Ooh, I get to roll. Uh, roll for me. <laughs> Who would you like to roll for that? Yeah, I don't know if it would be Persuade Obscure. I think it would be... Or Persuade Dissuade. I think it would be more <laughs> Identify. Persuade the road, the car to be on the road. Um, Yeah, I was going to say Identify for finding the road. Yeah. You could also probably make an argument for Pursue. Okay, here's my question about survival points for switching your stats. Do you have to do that before your roll? Or can you make that decision after you roll? Sorry, I was looking at that rule and I was curious. Yeah, so it doesn't actually specify. Um, I personally think that you need to do it before you make the roll. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with trying to obscure the Jeep from notice. Hmm. Not necessarily that I'm trying to identify the cabin. I'm trying to creep up slowly and cautiously, considering there was a gunshot. Okay, so did you like speed up? an eighth of a mile or so and then you slow down turn off the lights yeah got up the hill um and then and when we're getting closest yeah kill the lights and slow down okay oh thank god <laughs> um 23 wow <laughs> <laughs> all right so yeah it seems i mean you don't know <laughs> don't know yet but uh you're creeping along with just the that low crackle of the of the gravel and the and um, branches and such popping underneath the wheels of the jeep as uh, you ease it along how are you reacting to this slow going Gigi? i'm gripping that you know the handle that uh is on the passenger side of vehicles with one hand and like the bottom of my seat with the other and i'm gritting my teeth and leaning forward trying to force my eyes to adjust to the dark better <laughs> or faster it seems like it took longer than you remember, Jason, to get to the turnoff to the uh, cabin. But but you see it there finally. Do you turn down it? Uh, yeah. Like I said, it's only 80 feet or so. Uh, once you turn on to that drive, such as it is, you go through the trees there to a clearing. And I'd probably stop about halfway or right next to the clearing. You stop like right at the edge of the clearing. It's not a large clearing, uh, but it's it's got a a cabin in there. It's a single story cabin. It is uh, rough hewn. It's not a log cabin, but it's rough hewn wood, and it's uh, got a a pleasant little porch on it. Although the whole place looks a little old and smelled a fair bit musty when you were in there, uh-huh. uh, Jason also a bit of wood smoke because the only heating for it is a a, a fireplace and a wood stove. There's a large wood pile to the left of the uh, porch and there are about three steps that go up to the porch itself and there's a couple of um, rustic chairs sitting out on that and 
you see a light on inside of the cabin. Uh, as soon as the jeep stops, I would um, open the door. I mean, get out just as quietly as possible. Yeah, as soon as she starts to open the door, I'm like, shh, just do it quietly. I understand. That's what I'm doing. By the way, I did say, shh, don't. Just do it quietly. I whispered too much. I'm on a mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Be careful. Are you not coming with or? That's fine. I'll just go. Uh, yeah, I'll start trying to move. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you, says Allison. Okay. Sh- but sure. just stay to the shadows. I'm going to go around this side and you go around that side. If I notice any danger and can distract them from you guys, get back to the Jeep and get out of here. I'm leaving the keys under the driver's seat. Okay. Um, Jason, how many rooms are there in the cabin? There's the main living dining area with a little kitchenette off the side, and then there's three other rooms. All right. Just so we know to check them all. I'll uh, go sneaking towards the cabin. The clouds are high, scudding across a sky where the moon has just begun to rise, and you can see the moon dimly through those clouds as they um, swiftly dart across the sky, and uh, you approach. Uh, What side were you going around, Jason? Right or left? Actually, because I'm already on the driver's side, I would have went around that side of the clearing, staying to the shadows, um, and sneaking up to that side of the house, and they would go around the other side. Makes sense. So assuming that you're not driving a British Jeep, uh, you were going around the left side of the uh, cabin? Yes. Uh, That's the side with the uh, wood pile, so you're starting around that way. Allison holding on to uh, Gigi's uh, shirt, you know, kind of just gripping it, follows along behind you, Gigi, as as you go to the right. And uh, Gigi, I need you to roll and identify. Okay. Could I conceivably add the, um, what are those called again? Specializations? What is your specialization? Uh, I named it Snoop, and I more intended it to be like if I was in someone's office for a little bit, maybe peeking at some papers or like eavesdropping or something like that. But would Snoop apply to like peeking in windows and uh, seeing if I can suss um, out the situation inside? Sure, I'll let you okay. use that. Cool. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, I can do math. 24? Your target number was 48. <laughs> Uh, the the windows, the way that the house is set up, Gigi, is that that porch that you get onto by taking three steps up leads to the main door, and that opens into that, that living space that uh, Jason was talking about. And that appears to be where the light is. Now, the windows uh, are up a little higher. Uh, you You aren't able to easily peer into them without, like, gripping a hold of the windowsill and pulling yourself up. Some mm-hmm. uh, because the bottom part of the cabin appears to be a crawl space uh, that's a good couple of feet mm-hmm. off the ground to keep uh, the whole place dry from heavy rains and such. But uh, you are able to do that. You you lever yourself up and get just your nose and your eyes above the uh, windowsill. And uh, the windows aren't dirty. There are curtains, though, on the inside. The curtains are divided, have come apart just a little bit. And you can see into a reasonably cozy space uh, lit 
with the warmth of a kerosene lantern and a fire going in the fireplace. Uh, but uh, there's a couple of chairs all made of those uh, like limbs that have been highly polished and then all built into you know a, a chair mm-hmm. that probably sold down on Main Street uh, to the tourists for you know a few hundred <laughs> bucks. <laughs> and uh, there's also a, a little couch settee kind of thing made of the same materials that has a big cushy pillow on it to sit on. Uh, but you don't see anyone or anything inside the uh, living room anyway. When you hop back down, though, uh, you catch movement out of the corner of your eye in the woods out beyond the side of the clearing. Jason, you are going around the left side. Um, What are you doing? I'm keeping an eye on Gigi and Allison as I creep closer to to make sure that um, I don't notice anything going towards them. Uh, but yeah, I would kind of do a, a similar thing is go and look into the windows that I know have a good view of what could be going on in the house. As soon as you pass the porch, uh, you can't see them anymore. They're on the far side of the house, but, uh, you are also able to lever yourself up to the living room window and you don't see anything there. Do I see Gigi poking her nose over the other side and, <laughs> and the other window? <laughs> 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 that was my favorite scene in Doctor Who. Actually, you know what? I like it. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Gigi's not able to, um, you know, maintain the hold very long. And then just as you see Gigi's head uh, disappear from sight across the way, uh, you see a dark shape enter the room fast, and then the uh, kerosene light goes out. Go ahead and roll for me a... Ah, man. It's like the uh, act under pressure of, uh, <laughs> of Dead of Night. Identify. Uh, you want me to do identify? Yes. 12? Uh, yeah. yeah, you just weren't able to get a good look at the figure. You were about to turn away yourself, and you, you, you look back really quick once you see that that form moving moving and you realize that they're heading toward that window where you just saw Gigi, but then the light goes out and the room is still lit by the uh, fire in the fireplace, but it's on the opposite side and, and not enough to illuminate that area over there. Of course I have that horror movie moment where <laughs> you see, you see me like, like, hunched down from the window with this wide-eyed look and just breathing really heavy while I absorb what the hell's going on. On the other side of the house, I'm doing the same thing, but my back is to the wall and I'm staring out into the woods. Then you hear a branch crack behind you, Jason, in the woods. Uh, not a, uh, not a, oh, there was a branch uh, that fell uh, from the wind blowing it around kind of thing, but a, a somebody stepped on something branch. It could be a deer, but. Okay, okay. I'm looking at the woodpile and thinking, do I see an axe? A survival point would get you one. I will spend the survival point. Does this remind you of session zero? Yes. yes. <laughs> now it does. <laughs> yes. So. What are you looking at? What's this? What's this? A character can spend a survival point to introduce a new element into the story. As I lean down to grab it, um, I peer over my shoulder looking into the woods, just trying to get some kind of 
visual from whatever might be creeping from behind me. On the other side, Gigi, you see that motion in the woods, and then there's a crash of glass behind you as the window that you were just looking out of smashes outward and glass shards uh, fly all around. Allison squeaks and um, darts away, having a bit of glass phobia. Yeah. Uh, I'll also dart to the side. And then there is a, a shotgun blast. Oh. Boom, really loud, right above you and the flash of light that illuminates uh, just for a moment, the clearing right around you. And then uh, also just for a moment, a figure out in the woods, uh, something taller and more misshapen than what you would expect to see out there. And I need you to roll an escape roll for me. 15 on the dot. Well, that's not exactly, though, <laughs> what you need to get in this case. Uh, this one could be an opposed roll. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Against a, per, uh, against a pursue or even against an assault. And so your ears are ringing, Gigi, but then you hear Skeen's voice above you and behind there in the window yelling, Get the hell out of here! Skeen? They don't seem to be saying it to you. Yeah. And then they look down as you say skiing and they're like, Gigi, what the hell? What? Holy crap. Get in the house. Get in the house now. Get in the house. Uh, Jason. I would hear the muffled voices from the other side of the cabin. You definitely hear the gunshot and you hear muffled voices from the other side of the cabin. Still keeping an eye to the woods where I thought I heard... Um, something moving around, I will make my way to the corner of the house like I'm going towards the front door, um, but being cautious and peeking around the corner and making sure everything's okay. Uh, give me an escape. Escape. Oh, please, please. Um, 15? You scramble up onto the, uh, onto the porch, and I am going to spend a survival point, not a tension point, but a survival point because I am using assault and I can't spend tension points on assault yet, uh, but I can spend my monster's survival points. Uh, I'm going to spend a survival point to make that a 14 and not a 15. Uh, would you like to counter that with your own survival point? Oh, oh, Patrick. <laughs> oh, Patrick. <sighs> He's trying to kill me already, Sharon. <laughs> You've only been on for like three episodes. I know, right? Including this one. <laughs> I will This is why Richard is still here (laughs) (laughs) So Here's here's the thing If you spend a survival point uh, Yeah you're still spending the survival point That you would be losing because this is a risky A risky check Right But you'll also make them lose a survival point Because They're spending one But they'll also have to lose another one because of the, uh, they will have lost lost the challenge, the risky challenge. Wouldn't you say I'm kind of going for the horror movie cliches, gaining a survival point for my <laughs> efforts, though? <laughs> how many survival points do you have left? If here? I do this, I'll be down at three. <laughs> oh, well, you have plenty. That's how many. Um, that's how many Carl's been working with this entire time. All right, I'll go, I'll take the three. <laughs> but he also hasn't been out in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of beasts in the woods chasing you. Just yeah. a okay. deadly car crash with I, murderous. I counter then, but you still have to spend your survival point. Yes. 
So I actually ended up spending two survival points, and you spent one. Of course, that raises the tension level up to a uh, up to eleven. <laughs> now, survival points are different than attention points, right? Tension points are things I can uh, I can use to spend on certain things at certain times uh, that you can't counter with uh, your own expenditures. But in this case, uh, I was spending monster survival points. Okay. All right. And so here's what this looks like. Jason, you hear the gunshot. You have heard that crack off in the woods. You are looking over your shoulder as you run around to the front of the cabin and run up the steps. And you you kind of you raise your axe up in your left hand as you reach for the door uh, for the doorknob, and an arrow thwacks into the axe handle like right in front of your face, and it's just sticking there like it's embedded about an inch uh, with this big old barbed arrow attached to it. Uh, it looks all. Well, you don't really have time to <laughs> to analyze the uh, look of the arrow, but the, even the initial impression is that it's 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 big and heavy. And then you are opening the door and diving into the living room of the cabin. Now, a few miles away in the Spirit Bay Clinic, in the only private room that they have, a figure is on a standard hospital bed. But there are non-standard blankets over this figure, tucked in around him to keep him warm. As Carl starts to awaken from the coma that he's been in ever since he was attacked by William Kitteridge in a car on the North Road. But Carl's memories currently, as he swims up from unconsciousness, are not of that incident on the North Road but ones from a lot further back in time. Carl, you're in the house. Even back then, it was a wild, meandering house, but not as much as it is these days, even though you don't know that. You haven't been out there for years, but still, it was a sprawling place. But this particular memory, where are you in this memory? I picture Carl as restlessly moving up and down the hallways, Almost aimlessly, but uh, he, he walks with a purpose, but it's like he, maybe he's lost something, he's looking for something, uh, or maybe he's pacing. As Carl is doing this, his older brother, Lazarus Lazaro Kane, Lazaro, Lazzy, as he sometimes likes to be called, steps out of the library and he sees you, Carl. He has this smile on his face and he says, oh, brother, dear. Um, come in. Come into the library. I've got something I wish to show you. What, what, what do you want? I just want to show you something. Come on, Carl. Fine, fine, fine. Just, just be quick. Be quick. He leads the way into the library, which is not the library of today. Uh, it is a, back then it was a much smaller affair, a, uh, oh, converted bedroom, perhaps, that, uh, the walls have been lined with bookshelves, and in the center of the room, there is a round table, and on the table is a box. How old are the two of you in this memory? Uh, Carl would be just, I mean, uh, still late teens, maybe even 19, 18, somewhere in the neighborhood. So that put Lazaro, I think he's about 10 years older, so he'd be 
uh, late 20s. Lazar is like, you're going to love this. You're just going to love this. I know you will. And he walks over to the other side of the table and puts his hands on either side of the box lid. He's looking at you expectantly. What? What? What is it? And he opens it, and inside is the family cat, quite dead. What? What have you done with the cat? Why are you showing me a dead cat? What? What nonsense is this? I want to know what the dead cat's name is. What is the dead cat's name, Carl? Um, the dead cat's name is Lydia. I was gonna say, what if it was Schrodinger? Just ironically. <laughs> <laughs> We, it was Schrody the cat. <laughs> Schrody the cat. No, the, the the cat was named Lydia after a, a family friend of our father's. I just learned this. Go ahead and roll for me, uh, Carl. Give me a give me an identify check. All right. Let's see. Big money, no whammies. Not bad. That's a sixteen total. It seems fairly apparent that the cat's neck has been wrung. That the cat's head is twisted all the way around. By the way, listeners, tonight's episode may contain scenes of animal cruelty. Uh, viewer discretion is advised. And we do not condone this, please. <laughs> my my puppy over here on the floor it seems to be okay with cat violence. My uh, <laughs> my my cat right next to me seems to be okay with cat violence. She's not listening though. <laughs> That's a cat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, Carl, like he has that look on his face where. At, at first, it was the, the come on, get on. What in the world are you showing me and why are you wasting my time? Uh, and when he sees that wait, this cat wasn't like killed accidentally, like, this was purposely done. He stops and he says, wait, who who would do? Wait, did did you do this? Lassie just smiles. Why, why would you kill a cat? It's a cat. What? 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 Not. Oh, what are you? Mm, I I don't understand. Because I found our father's books, Carl. I found them finally where he hides them. We're in the library, brother. Oh, yes. Well, uh, that's just so that, uh, well, it was a place where I knew that um, none of the others would would be coming. So, would you like to see? Will this make more sense if I say yes? (laughs) Perhaps. Then then just... Just, just show me what it is you want to show me so I can leave. He puts his hands on the cat and kind of massages it for a second. And then he reaches under and he lifts the cat out and he puts it on the table. And it's stiff with rigor mortis. He begins muttering under his breath. That muttering is painful to feel because you feel it, Carl. You can feel it vibrating right below your... Um, solar plexus and it's the weirdest sensation and in fact i need you to make a protect roll oh wait no you just rolled i need to make an assault roll i need that's what i didn't find earlier i didn't find dice hey do you know where i am i'm in roll 20 i can roll dice there (laughs) there you go you got your dice right there roll 20 they have a jingle That's my jingle that I just wrote for Roll20. Uh, what is your uh, protect? My protect is six. Oh, six. All right. You are able to not fend this feeling off, but uh, you're able to kind of internalize it like a like the hum of 
one of those newfangled uh, power lines. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> In the early 40s. Oh, well, yeah. Actually, probably they probably did just get power to the island not long before. Um, but it's it's actually kind of like the um, the hum of the lighthouse uh, that it will make sometimes. And so... Uh, when it when when that sound at the lighthouse makes it difficult to sleep, you're you're able to put that into the background, and and you're able to kind of push this down to uh, how otherwise do you react? If it's a uh, almost like a palpable sensation, uh, have that almost nervous look. You know when uh, you you don't know what to do, so you kind of do that crawling out of your skin sensation, where you just seem restless and you're scratching your arms and you're kind of you know, self-soothing, uh, you know, with, with your own hands, kind of just rubbing your, 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 you know, your forearms and just seeming very uncomfortable while you're trying to process, uh, looking around, trying to understand what is happening. Your attention is divided as you are looking almost everywhere except at your brother and the cat. But it is very hard not to see that the cat twitches, that the front legs jerk, that the head tries to turn but can't. Your brother just starts not laughing. It's somewhere between a laugh and a giggle. What? What are you doing? What? What is this? What? What? What are you doing? I'm doing those things that our father has hidden from us, that he's kept to himself. I'm doing, brother. I'm doing magic. It, it, so it's a trick. Give me a persuade. Ooh, that's pretty good. Uh, 19 on the roll. So, yeah, he says, he looks at you, and there's a look that comes into his eyes that if you had to call it something, you might call it pity. And he says, yes, brother. Yes, it's a, it is a trick. Um, I found the cat. I did not uh, wring its neck like this. I, I don't know how that happened, but uh, I found a, a book of father's I don't know, perhaps from when he was a child, it was a book of uh, magic tricks. And this one allows you to make a a dead body look the illusion of life. <laughs> if you would like to try to see if he is lying or not, you may. But you may also wish to just accept that. I don't know what Carl would do. Um, so I think Carl's going to do the, uh, you know, he'd been really kind of nervous and out of sorts. While this is going on, uh, he's a little anxious, but he's had a moment now to calm himself. So he stops and looks at, you know, his brother just intently staring at him uh, for a very long, awkward moment. And then he looks at him with a, a, a sense of resolve and says, brother, this was a trick. It must be. You know, it is what you're saying isn't good. It's a trick. Of course, it's a trick. Of course, it's a trick, Carl. I mean, that's the whole point of magic, right? Illusion. But who's being fooled? What do you mean? He continues to massage the cat. And is the, has the cat changed in any way? Uh, not at the moment, no. It's still twitching, but it's not, uh, hasn't like leapt up and gone or anything. The uh, gardener has not come into the room and said, well, there's things you bury up there. They just don't stay dead. They don't. <laughs> Was that was that Jimmy Stewart? Is Jimmy Stewart the gardener? 
I didn't know he was in Pet Cemetery. <laughs> we're, so, we're so rich yeah, we could employ Jimmy the, Stewart as our gardener. It's the little-known Jimmy Stewart version of uh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. <laughs> I'd watch that. Wow, you see? <laughs> yeah, there's the deep fake that needs to happen. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Uh, so Carl will again have that kind of moment of awkward silence. And he says, so what are you going to do now? The cat's not dead. The cat's not alive. Well, of course the cat is dead. It's a, like I said, it's a magic trick. He thumps the cat on the forehead and it goes still. See, dead cat. Yeah, what should we do with it? We, we aren't doing anything with the cat. You need to fix that. And I suggest whatever you found... You hide it again and leave it that way. Well, why would you say that, brother? It feels, well, not good. And the cat jumps up off the table and runs <sighs> out past you, Carl, into the hallway. I think perhaps we need to go back a little further, actually. Let's go back, oh, say, ten more years, putting you, Carl, at about age eight. Oh, boy! Um... Where are you now? One of the larger living rooms was kind of his, um, I'd say, place central. But for him, it was uh, it it was a battlefield. He the the furniture were the trenches. The lamps were were the the cavalry, and he liked to play. He liked to play soldier, and that was the biggest room and had the most room for him to play and run. So that's where he would be. And so you're playing with your metal soldiers uh, a lot with his imagination but yeah he has a few things set up and and things that aren't necessarily you know soldiers he's got some toys that don't seem to make sense for war toys but he's established them as certain things and uh you know put put them around the room and he is kind of just play acting um play acting a battle at that point you young carl you hear a strange sound behind you you hear the it's a squeaky wheel, uh, really, is what it sounds like. And you hear, Hello? And rolling out of the shadows of a hallway is, for a moment, you think it's your father, but it can't be. Your father is strong and hale and would never, would never allow himself to be in a wheelchair. And that is what's coming, is a wheelchair and a figure in it rolling forward. A figure with strange accoutrements, things like tanks of some sort attached to the wheelchair, and a, a, a clear mask over his face. And when he lowers the mask, as old as he is, older by far than your father, you see the resemblance. And you would almost say that there's the features are very similar to a much, much older version of uh, your your brother, your 18-year-old brother, Lazaro. The figure lowers the mask and says, Hello, boy. No, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> boy? Hello. <clears throat> Hello, boy. How you doing? Who, who, who are you? I'm your brother. <laughs> and here's the thing. You're not eight. You're more like me, all cut up, all beat up in a hospital room. You need to come back, boy. But 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 uh, I'm having fun here. Mm, you need to wake up because mm, the family needs you. 
needs you real bad right now. Things are happening. Things I put into motion. Things maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe you were right. But I did it. It's done. I tried to fix some of it. I ain't. But you gotta wake up. That's why... That's why... That's why I've kept you alive this long, boy. (coughs) Oh, that hurts. (coughs) I... I... But I'm I'm awake now. Can't I just stay here? Uh, you feel something sharp in your neck, and I need you to uh, protect. Except it's not you. Dag damn it! <laughs> it's me. Me assaulting you. I'm assaulting eight year old <laughs> Carl. No. What kind of monster are you? Sentences you never thought you'd say. That guy was screwed up. <laughs> what is your protect? Uh, six. Oh. <laughs> you reach up and you feel something sharp in your neck and you pull it out and you look at it and it's a bloody shard of glass but you can just look at it It, it's kind of it's kind of um, distant from you it's uh it seems not quite real Uh, when i look down do i see anything else or do I just see the glass? And are you thinking that you see, like, the in the car or something? Yeah, am I still seeing myself in the car, or wh- wh- where is Carl when he's seeing or feeling this glass? For a moment, Carl, you look down at the glass, and you aren't in the living room playing with your soldiers. You are in a, a hospital room. There's beeping. There's the sound of people talking distantly. Um, not in the room with you, but but in the hallways. But then you're back in the in the living room with wheelchair bound Lazaro. Real close on that one. Could have gone either way. Hold on, boy. And he lifts the mask up to his face. And there's a moment where an eight year old Carl is just kind of frozen in place, looking at this person that he doesn't understand and isn't quite certain what's happening. And, you know, old Lazaro in the wheelchair is kind of staring back at him, making that horrible noise as, as he breathes. And just then between the two, almost nonchalantly strolls a very lively black cat, just swishing her tail as she walks back and forth between almost interrupting the scene. And, and young Carl looks at the cat as it walks by and the last moment, the cat kind of turns around in the way that cats do, uh, you know, that gives you that that kind of smirk, like I go where I want and do what I want. And at that moment, Carl looks up at his brother and he speaks. But instead of eight-year-old Carl's voice, you hear old Carl's voice. Brother, what have you done? In the woods near the hunting cabin, you, Gigi, see more movement out there. More figures, not just one. There has to be more. In the cabin, uh, Jason, you roll in and uh, you hear, and then um, and then you see out of the corner of your eye a figure turning toward you with something long in its arms. But you definitely heard the sound of a shotgun uh, being racked up. Wait, wait, wait. They're attacking me too. Who? Uh, uh, Jason? Holy... Is every is the whole family out here? Skeen, we were looking for you. That that's not good. <laughs> I don't think that's good. Get I, Gigi's outside, and I think 
Allison? Did I see Allison? Oh, wow. Uh, are they going to try to come through the front door? Um, Gigi, are you, go, get inside the house. As soon as I have a hold of Allison. Let's see how well you have done um, keeping Allison in line here. Gigi, roll a uh, persuade, persuade check for me. Okay. Um, uh, it's a 15 on the dice plus 5, so 20. Uh, 20. That's pretty good. This is the... This is the opposite of my Zweihander character. <laughs> Allison starts to bolt, but you grab her, and uh, what do you say? Allison, we need to get inside the house right now, and uh, yank her towards the... I'm going to go to the front door and not to the window, because glass. Uh, yeah, getting through the window would be difficult anyway, because there's nothing to stand on here to lever up. We also didn't like go super far, so I feel like the front door is a viable option. Except since you just rolled, that's going to be on me. So that means it gets to be an assault. Oh, so if you're assaulting, am I protecting or escaping? I can use my boxing specialty to punch a Wendigo, is it? <laughs> I would think probably not. <laughs> uh, but let's see. Oh, wait, I've got to actually roll. <laughs> that was ironic. Wendigos are not from the Pacific Northwest. Oh, man, I'm rolling crappy here on roll 20. Uh, an arrow thuds into one of the porch posts. Uh, not really even all that close to you, although it was pretty pretty close to Allison. And yeah, and then you are inside too, and also having a gun briefly leveled at you before Skeen is able to identify that uh, you are you. Oh great, the, the clan's all here. That's <laughs> Skeen, are there more guns? That's a great question. I didn't uh, I didn't see any. This one was they point above the fireplace where there's a couple of hooks and a uh, uh, taxidermy boarhead hanging up there and says uh, it was up there. And uh, yeah, I, I, and loaded. OK, do you know who's attacking us? Jason, you don't recall there being any other guns in the... Uh, yeah, I figured as much. You never took down the uh, shotgun to see if it was loaded or not. Yeah, and I figured as much, but... Uh, uh, Skeen, do you know who's attacking us? I, I, I wish I knew. I, I wish I knew. I, uh, man, that's... Uh, they are freaky as all shit, man. Jason, would you help me move this wardrobe in front of the door, please? There's a... Uh, like an old antique cabinet right next to the door that uh, looks like it holds, you know, some old books and things that are just there for show, mostly. How about that table? Let's get it in front of the window. Uh, what about the other windows? I, uh, I got in there and uh, I, uh, I got the, uh, I got the light going, and I thought it would scare them off if I just shot a time. And I shot out, I, I like leaned out the front door and I shot at them. But man, they look weird. I, I didn't really get a good look at them, but I saw them there in the in the trees as I was. I thought, you know, I mean, when I went into the ditch, I thought maybe I could come up here and, and use the phone or something. And because uh, uh, I wasn't getting no cell service down there. But uh, man, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me help with that table. We get the table positioned up over. One of the windows. Is there any other large furniture items that we can bar barricade the other windows with? Uh, you can pile a couple of chairs on top of one another. The best advantage there is that the windows are above the ground level uh, a ways that they can't e easily be, you know, climbed through. Jason um, strolls back over to where he put the axe down when he went to help move the furniture, yanks the or at least attempts to yank the arrow from the axe, 
if unsuccessful, points at it and is like, they're shooting arrows at us. Yes, I noticed. And on that, one comes through a window. Oh, are you kidding me? More furniture. Let's let's get the chairs up next to the windows. I need a protect or escape or whatever you feel like you want to uh, give a go of for... Let's make it Jason. Okay. Which window closest to me, closest to Gigi, closest to who? It's going to be the one closest to you uh, since you're the one doing the... Um, initially, I would escape the direct impact, so I'll go with escape. And this is coming through the window on the left side, the one that uh, you have piled chairs in front of. Let's see, 10 and 6, 16. 16 um, is not quite enough. Would you like to do anything about that? Am I going to lose the survival point anyway? <laughs> yes, uh, but you will cost them another oh, one. Oh, dang. Okay. In that case... I will go ahead and use my sleight of hand to flip the axe around. You can use it to re-roll. Oh. And because you're using it to re-roll, uh, I will also let you re-roll with a different attribute if you okay. want. Okay. Um, I guess that's what's happening. And I am... You still accept that I'm going to flip the axe around in my hand and try and catch the thing? Sure. Okay. Um, then, yeah. Um, if you will let me use my... Sleight of hand, manual dexterity kind of specialty. That gives me a 19 at the expense of another survival point. And at another one of theirs, too. Fortunately, as the window crashes inwards towards Jason, um, as he's flipping the axe around to a more better position to uh, defend himself, it catches what seems to be another one of those large arrows that bounces off the head of the axe and barely misses his head. Carl, you find yourself in the trenches during the war, and uh, you're in the midst of a, a battle. There's, there's explosions. It's messy and dark and muddy, all the horrible things that um, war has been. Your uh, fellow soldiers in your company are around you, and, and they're like leaping up out of the trench and firing or tossing grenades, and they're, they are all around and moving everywhere. But for you, it's, it's almost silent. Everything is muted. Uh, what, what else has been going on here? The way I see it, uh, it's that exhaustion of war. It's not just the grenades going off or the gunfire or the stress of the moment. It's the fact that it's been going on for so long. It's gone past routine, you know, past normal to pure exhaustion uh, to, to the point where you know, people around you, you know, around are cracking, not just over one little thing, but the stress of having been in these intense situations and near death for so long. And then you hear it. <sighs> hey, boy, war as hell, ain't it? <laughs> Not that you'd know. Lazaro is there in his wheelchair in the trenches. There are weird details, though. The wheelchair is... The wheels of it are deep in the mud. They're not, like, levitating above it or anything. They're, the wheelchair is heavy, and they're stuck in the, in the mud itself. Uh, in fact, Lazaro is kind of idly trying to push himself forward, but the, the wheelchair is not moving. His... His clear mask that he had uh, from that visitation when you were eight is a gas mask. That uh, It's a half gas mask that he holds up from these 
really beat up looking green World War I oxygen tanks. And he says, this is about the end of it. I, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not quite sure what to do from here, boy. I, uh, yeah. I came here to get away from you. Well, it didn't work. You can't get away from family. Not, not forever. This is all you, isn't it? Every bit of it. He looks around. Uh, I did not start a war. <laughs> I, I might've tried. <laughs> I might've tried to stop one, but not the ones you're thinking of. I just, uh. I need you to wake up. <clears throat> the family's in trouble, and you've got to keep them. you, you got to keep them alive. Because <laughs> I did my damnedest to make sure that they wouldn't, but it's up to you now. And there's that moment in the roar in the battle as the, the soldiers around him seize the moment, and, and there's a push that begins to run forward, and people start to charge, and they're moving by Carl as he's just standing there. Uh, you know, the, the explosions are louder. There's more gunfire. You hear the, the cheering. You hear orders being shouted to push forward. And Carl just kind of stands there and let him, lets them go by. And he turns and looks at the battle. Uh, he turns to look at the place where Lazaro was just a moment ago. And he realizes, I, I have to go back, don't I? I always knew it. Uh, when you turn and look back at Lazaro, you say that. And then your eyes focus and you realize that he's not there. You are in the car. You were in the car after it has crashed into the guardrail, after you um, saw your dead wife standing in the road. You you see out the back window, because you have also turned your head in this memory, you have turned your head and you're looking out the back window of the car, and you see Candace back there standing on the road, and she's looking at the car, and she's got this smile on her face. And you also see her fingers moving, and you see her mouth muttering words that you can't hear, but you feel them rumbling below your ribcage. And then you're back in the war fields. At the cabin, uh, more arrows thunk into the side of the cabin itself, but uh, they don't make it through the windows, and and you're staying relatively clear of, of that window that is blocked by the chairs now. Um, so what are you doing? Allison's having a little minor freak out, but she's actually holding up pretty good. She's had practice now the past few days of dealing with traumatic situations. <laughs> Skeen, what, what brought this on? Uh, uh, all right. So so I was, uh, I was out there. I was coming up the road. Um, you know, it was dark. I, uh, I had a lighter, so I was using that to light my way up. This being after you crashed the, took the car into the ditch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I heard these whispers. I heard these whispers out in the out in the trees. Um, and then I saw some figures, but uh, that was a little bit later. Uh, um, they were saying, and they look up at the ceiling and and in memory of this, trying to remember. Um, they said, "Take that one. We can use them to get the others up here." Oh dear, huh? If you kill it, they will come. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend we close all the curtains so they cannot see inside. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't have much light anymore. Ah, uh, that's true. What? Uh, I, I still stand to who are they and what do they want of us? Uh, let us 
let's maybe move into a bedroom or a restroom which has a smaller uh, smaller window so that they have less chance of hitting us. Speaking of which, you hear a crash in the back oh, of the cabin. Oh, or not. It seems like they're already on their way in. This hunting cabin, cabin has uh, altogether too many windows for my comfort. I'll have to uh, see about that <laughs> later. Uh, are there any more axes? Skeen, Skeen checks the uh, shotgun. I know that uh, Jesse would probably be a little reluctant to do this, but Sharon, would you like uh, Gigi to spend a uh, survival point to have a few more shells available? The shells for the shotgun? Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, pull open the nearest drawer and it's like full of them. <laughs> Oh, look at that. That's handy. Sure. Of the armoire thing that uh, was sitting next to the the uh, front door, it uh, one of the drawers got jostled open as, as you and Allison were moving it over, and you happen to see shotgun shells even as Skeen is cursing, um, saying, I'm out. I'm out. Skeen, I'm out. Skeen, There's no shells. Here's more. Here's more. Sweet. And they they pump a bunch of those into the, into the shotgun and then just go to the hallway that goes back toward the back of the uh, cabin and just fires blindly down it. Boom. I start stuffing more shelves into my pockets and uh, and follow. Ooh, you know what I'll grab? I'll grab the fire poker. Oh, dang you. I was... No, because while you are grabbing shelves, I'm going to grab the fire poker. <laughs> you have an axe already! <laughs> But I was, I was trying. This is an opposed role. <laughs> I was, I was actually going to like try to arm everybody else. Okay, you go ahead and get the poker. I'm gonna go to the kitchen and grab some of the big knives. Um, oh yes, some of the you know giant knives and hand like one to Allison and be like, it's just for your defense. Um, we're gonna get out of this, okay? Yes. If anything threatens you, wave it wildly and scream really loud. That should scare off most things. Carl. Give me an identify check, please. Identify. Uh, 17. In the vision of you in the car, you turn back around away from uh, Candace standing behind the car, making strange motions with her hands and mumbling, and you are staring right at William Kitteridge's face. And the expression on it is not one that you have seen before, but it's one you saw the hints of there at the reading of the will. And he is plunging a bloody piece of glass over and over into you. So I've got no role for you here. If you wish to regain consciousness, it's going to cost you a survival point. Um, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll spend the survival point. All right. Do you have it? I spent? do. I have, have several. I have two left. So this will leave me with one plus the one of a different color. Ooh. As you see that, you kind of jerk out of your body, or at least out of this memory that's not a memory, and you are standing on the side of a road. You, you may or may not recognize it, but it is a blacktop road. It is, um, uh, you have the sense of it being on the south side of the island. You can feel the bulk of um, Fog Mountain kind of looming in front of you, and there is a car coming down the road, lights beaming, and it passes you, and you see that in it, uh, it's a Jeep. It's a blue Jeep, and inside of it is uh, Jason and Gigi and Allison. You see that Jason sees you, and the car comes to a, a skidding stop a few hundred feet ahead of you, uh, and then you blink, 
and you are waking up inside of the uh, Spirit Bay Clinic, and you feel bandages thickly wrapped around your neck. Is there anyone in the room? There is not. I'm going to do the, uh, you know, kind of feel that area and just do a general overall assessment. It's tender, but not as tender as you feel like it ought to be, (laughs) if that makes any sense, because, you know, each... Each time there was, you know, something that, you know, you felt a, a pain about it. Um, you know, having been in, uh, some, you know, some rough situations before, do the order of operations. You know, first uh, see if everything seems to be working, you know, fingers, toes, uh, move the head. Everything seems to be functional. Uh, then he'll try to slowly sit up. So assuming that all that works, uh, Carl will try to, to sit up in the bed and swing his feet off to the side. You know, once again, all this is a, a slow process, just making certain that, uh, you know, everything working, he knows not to, to get up quickly. I mean, when you're that old, you don't want to get up quickly anyway, uh, let alone after something traumatic. Uh, and if there's nobody stopping him yet and he, and he thinks that that's okay, then the next order of business is to look for clothes. Does he find any? Well, you are kind of constrained. You have a number of uh, sensors and such attached to you, as well as an IV drip. Hmm. Uh, while looking around for clothes, he'll pull some of these sensors off, but not the IV. He knows that'll that'll bring people. A voice from the door says, What do you think you're doing, honey? And you look, and your dead wife is standing in the door. Back at the cabin, Skeen just did a shotgun blast down the hallway, and Gigi is headed toward the windows. So is Allison to pull the curtains closed so that uh, perhaps those outside won't be able to see as well. Gigi, you see um, light outside, and Jason, I'm sorry, uh, what was Jason doing? Yeah, uh, so I grab uh, the biggest chef's knife that I can find and put it in Allison's hands and said, and told her to... Well, she's still back in the front room doing curtains. So you are grabbing at knives, and um, there is a window uh, in the kitchen over the sink, and because there's windows apparently all over <laughs> this cabin, and you see light outside, too. Gigi and uh, Jason, you both glance out really briefly, and you see that outside there are perhaps a half a dozen, maybe eight figures. They have lit torches that are illuminating the clearing to a certain extent. They are standing at the edge of the clearing, and you can see the shapes of them, people, but with something wrong about the heads, Uh, and that's not the thing that you see first because that's so strange you you see the bows that several of them are carrying the uh, quivers of arrows slung over their shoulders you see the packs that they seem to have backpacks and you also then see in the glow of the torchlight that they're all wearing what appear to be rabbit head masks i hate this (laughs) this is terrible And we'll find out where all of this goes <laughs> next time on the Gothic Podcast. That's our new theme song. That's our new theme song now. Oh, good grief. Creepy. The Gothic Podcast is an actual play audio drama produced by C. Patrick Nagel, starring C. Patrick Nagel, Sharon Gallery Lafournaise, Jesse Baldwin, and Nathan Addison. Theme music is by Zoe Hovland, with cover artwork by Jared George Art. 
Season 2 of the Gothic Podcast uses rules from the Monster of the Week RPG by Michael Sands and the Dead of the Night RPG by Steam Power Publishing, written by Andrew Kenrick. Look us up by name on all the social medias or email us at thegothicpodcast at gmail.com. Support for the Gothic Podcast comes from you, our listeners, so please rate, review, and share. And we have a Patreon page, too. Thanks for listening.